Good morning and welcome. My name is Brian from Valleytown Church. And last week we did a sermon about Abraham's eternal faith, uh, his faith in the existence of eternity with God in his kingdom, and uh, the faith that continued on when he was in eternity. That faith is something uh, along with hope and love that abides, that remains and continues even in God's kingdom. And today we're going to, I guess, rewind a little bit and begin to introduce some of the next characters uh, in the Hall of Faith. Uh, and we're going to look at a moment in which Abraham is still alive. Uh, but what I want to point out about this moment is that Abraham does not merely concern himself with his own eternity, but he's also concerned generationally about the things that will take place on the earth even after he's gone, uh, that his faith is not the kind of faith that is, uh, as they say, so heavenly minded that it's no earthly good, that his faith is concerned about uh, the next generation and God's promises being fulfilled and the next generation being equipped uh, and remaining faithful to the Lord, that he's concerned about that uh, specifically in the life of his son Isaac. Uh, you, who you may remember from previous accounts. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 24. Uh, we're going to be considering their faith, but also this is a narrative account, and we'll see in what ways we can learn uh, from the life and faith of the other characters as well, because Abraham is only a portion of this story as these generations overlap. So here we go, Genesis 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, and he makes him swear this oath. Uh, all right, and so I first want to point out about this servant, okay, uh, that in Genesis 15:2, it's likely this is the same servant. Uh, Abram, before he had any offspring, he says to God, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And uh, so traditionally, the servant in this story, Genesis 24, is the same Eliezer from Genesis 15. Okay, so someone who uh, it's worth pointing out, if Ishmael and Isaac and other children were not born, which it seemed like that was going to be the pattern in Abraham and Sarah's lives, that he would have been the in inheritor, the heir of all that Abraham had. And yet even so, even though that was not something that Eliezer ends up experiencing, we'll see that he's this incredibly faithful servant nonetheless. And so Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, put your hand under my thigh. And so this ends up being this symbol of, of making a promise, an oath. It's kind of unusual. Uh, we see it elsewhere in the Bible, and it's typically done uh, to the, a patriarch, the head of this large family uh, in which this kind of oath is made. And so he says, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. <coughs> and so uh, he's very explicit here, very clear. It starts with uh, a command of what not to do, uh, that he commands that, a wife would not be found among the women of the Canaanites. And uh, this isn't some f sort of uh, racism or xenophobia, okay? This is Abraham being concerned about uh, his son Isaac remaining faithful in his relationship to the Lord. And the women of the Canaanites are from a culture in which they practice child sacrifice, right? That even uh, decades later, that continues to be a part of their cultural practice, that God ends up bringing judgment upon that very 
nation, that tribe of Canaanites. And so Abraham realizes like we're living in this land, we're dwelling in this land by faith that one day it will be inherited as the land of promise to our offspring. But the people, the culture that we dwell in is not one that is uh, of marriage material, right? Uh, and granted, uh, the family of Abraham, they still screw up, but God is working in their lives. God is one that is faithful to fulfill his promise and his work in them. And they're growing in faith, just as we saw Abraham had done during his lifetime. Uh, so he makes, <laughs> he makes this uh, servant swear an oath, do not take a wife from among the Canaanites. Okay, and so this is uh, not something that is a uh, command put on Christians today uh, in that sense. I mean, the Canaanites were wiped out. I believe it was by the Romans. Uh, but what I want to point out is that this, this principle of you and your relationship to God is of the utmost importance. And the person whom you choose to marry should share that relationship with you. Now, there are those of us who have entered into marriage relationships prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, or we're in a season of our lives in which we weren't making wise, faithful decisions as according to the scripture. And Paul's advice in those situations is, if they're willing, remain with them and to be a faithful witness, to, to hopefully bring your spouse to the knowledge of salvation and trust in the Lord. And so you don't abandon uh, that marriage, okay, by any means. But uh, it is a New Testament command and instruction not to enter into that kind of marriage. And Abraham's concerned about this, about this next generation, right? And so uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, yoked as in like a pair of oxen, being ha having that piece of wood put around their necks in, in which they work as a team uh, to accomplish some work on a farm. Uh, that he's comparing relationships with unbelievers uh, and marriage uh, to being yoked with someone, that you're going to be accomplishing work with someone. And if you're a follower of Jesus and the person you're marrying isn't, it's going to be in some ways a difficult life for you. And it is a command from the scriptures not to, to seek out that kind of relationship. Uh, it would be foolish. It would be sinful to intentionally disobey God's instruction in that regard. Uh, the reasons that Paul gives here, he says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or fellowship uh, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Uh, what accord does Christ have with Belial? Right. Speaking of a demonic name there. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Uh, and so we're instructed not to enter into those kinds of relationships. And that's something that might be hard living in Vermont where there aren't many followers of Jesus, right? This is a, a landscape in which you are dwelling as a missionary. You're living kind of like Abraham was, one who has got a faithful relationship with God and you're prayerfully seeking out to bring about good news and salvation to the community around us. But there might not be many people uh, that are faithful followers of Jesus that are marriage material for you, right? Uh, another type of instruction he gives specifically to widows in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. All right, and so once again, the instruction for believers and as a loving pastor, I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to commend this to you and encourage you, right? Don't marry someone who is not a follower of Jesus alongside with you. Uh, that our relationship to the Lord takes first priority. That Jesus indicates that he is worthy of devotion, even over husband or wife or children, right? That, that he is worthy of that first place in our heart. And as a result, we should obey the instruction that the scriptures give, that we could find someone that we could be a partner with in our uh, living our lives, walking before the Lord, serving him uh, and, and the purpose of his kingdom in our community. The other thing, right, he ends up saying is uh, uh, to go to my country and my kindred. Okay, so he, he tells him this is where you will find 
a, a wife for my son. Go back to, to my country, to the people of my family line, that, that, that there you will find a wife for my son to marry. And so, as far as, like I was saying, in Vermont, it might be hard to find a Christian spouse. Uh, and you might need to travel for it. Abraham's servant ended up having to travel quite far in order to find a spouse for Isaac. Uh, and that might be okay. You might need to uh, import your spouse, right? You might need to go on, right, Christian Mingle or something like that, or, or make a connection uh, to a space, a place in which there are more believers and, and really be prayerful about seeking that out, right? That, uh, yes, God might bring someone and, and place them in your life, but also uh, you might have to travel, so to speak, in order to find a spouse, a spouse that is worthy. And uh, also being mindful of this, as far as thinking generationally like Abraham is, uh, those of us raising children or grandchildren, uh, to be mindful about equipping those kids to train them up with a love for the Lord as much as we are able to influence it. They still have their own free will, but to, uh, to desire to see them to come to know who God is and his word and his message of salvation, uh, to discipline our kids, to, to help them to, to train themselves in their own uh, bodies as they wrestle against their flesh for the rest of their lives on the earth, uh, that they would be able to walk as much as possible in faithful obedience to God and to know how to repent uh, when they fail and when they stumble. Uh, that we should be, as much as possible, training up and raising up kids that will be marriage material, right? Don't simply just pray for your kid's future spouse, right? But pray and train your kids now that they are someone who is worthy of marrying, uh, right? Desire for them to be to be that way themselves. And so, uh, so we, uh, although, right, we might not even know what I'm gonna feed my kids for lunch today, but we do need to be thinking about decades from now in their lives, what is, what is the legacy, what is the heritage going to be in the Lord, in, in your children or in your grandchildren, and being prayerful about these things. And that is, right, significant. Just as Abraham had faith about eternity, he also had faith about God's work on the earth for generations to come. And we should be thinking that way too, right? We don't want to just simply survive parenting. Like, oh man, I can't believe like got to graduate our kids out of the house or whatever, right? No, we need to be intentional about the time that God has given us with our children, that we would equip them and that we would train them and show them the love of God, that we would be godly examples, right? Yes, you should come and participate in a church family for the sake of your children, but also for yourself, right? Like this is part of your relationship with God that he calls us to. Uh, so yeah, and, and if you are in a different stage of life, if you've got grandkids, uh, be mindful about investing in them as well. Find opportunities to bless them and point their hearts to Jesus. <clears throat> and so when it comes to, to finding a spouse, Abraham's concerned about this. The servant is swearing an oath in order to fulfill this in, a, in a, an appropriate and proper way. And when we, in our culture, right, we select our own spouses, it's not uh, or arranged marriage in any regard, uh, we need to be wise about that pursuit. We need to include God in our decisions regarding that pursuit. Uh, that we don't kind of like keep him compartmentalized and it's like, well, he doesn't get to, you know, be involved in speaking regarding my love life, right? Like, no, 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 God should directly be involved in that and we should obey him when he instructs us. Uh, Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, that, that marriage is this good gift that God has, but it's also possible to make poor choices. And, and that's not to say that like, Marrying a Christian uh, means that your marriage will be perfect. It's two sinners that are being united. They're going to screw up. They're going to need your forgiveness, okay? Uh, but in Proverbs 21.9, it says, It is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife, okay? And this is wisdom written by a father to a son, okay? And so he's saying, like, listen, like, you want to make sure you choose wisely and don't don't choose based on superficial things either. Proverbs 31, 30. 
Charm is deceitful, and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Okay, so that in our selection of a spouse, in the relationships that you pursue as a single person, uh, the things, the qualities that you desire in a spouse shouldn't just be based on their appearance, because that's in vain, it's going to go away. Uh, it shouldn't just be based on how charming they may be, but you want to find someone who has respect and honor for the Lord that is going to honor God with you in your life. And right, obviously, we shouldn't simply just focus about uh, finding the right person, but also becoming the right person ourselves, right? We want to be a gift to our spouse, right? We don't want to be a curse where it's better for them to live in the corner of the roof than to live with us, right? We want to make sure that God is working in our hearts, that we are participating with the Holy Spirit in the work of sanctification, that we're growing in the knowledge of God, spending time in his word and worship uh, of him, that that we would be a spouse that is going to invest in uh, our spouse, right? That we would nourish them and care for their spiritual growth uh, and that we would be expressing and living by faith alongside with them. All right, let's get back to the story. Verse five, the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Uh, must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Okay, uh, and he says this again in verse 8 coming up, right? Do not take my son back there. That Abraham is concerned about God's promise from generation to generation, uh, about this land being the place in which they dwell by faith. And he doesn't want his son to go back to the place where he started and then out of comfort and convenience, like, well, I don't know, it's kind of a convenient life. If, right, I just live here with the resources that God blessed my father with, uh, right, and just live back in this land. No, Abraham is generationally minded, and he is concerned about, no, my son's going to dwell in this land by faith. And so he gives this clear instruction to the servant. <clears throat> and then he says this, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you and you shall take my wife, uh, take a wife for my son from there. All right. And so he is clearly expressing faith in this moment that, that God himself who made these promises was in fact going to send an angel, a messenger, before his servant, Eliezer. Okay, and so uh, what's interesting about this story is that angel is mentioned one more time in the context of the promise, but in no way do we see this angel working in the rest of this narrative. And so what I want to suggest is that behind the scenes, God is working in your life. Okay, that God is working, God is preparing, God is moving ahead of you and has foreordained good works for you to walk in. Okay, that God is not passive in your life, that there may be times in which he seems invisible in his activity, but he is working. Okay, and that in this instance, God will send an angel before you. And so he believed that God was going to work in decisions regarding his son, uh, even big decisions, even like marriage, okay? That God is interested in those things. It's not God, like God's just in heaven and is like, ah, whatever you want to do, that's fine. No, no, God cares about these things. They matter to him. And if we are to follow him, we should obey God in his instruction. And so God ends up sending this angel. Later on in verse 40, uh, <coughs> uh, the servant recalls Abraham's instruction. And he says, the, uh, he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send an angel with you and prosper your way. Okay. And so I just want to point out that, that his trust, his faith in God wasn't just like, oh, God's going to bless my life. No, he's recognizing that it's out of that covenant relationship that he had with God, that he would expect God to continue to fulfill his promises. Right, that Abraham walked before God is what this is kind of linked to, okay? That like, if we're living a life completely independent of God, 
right? We can't be like, well, God's preparing this perfect spouse for me. Like God's going to make my life super blessed and convenient. No, not, not necessarily. He's not obligated to do that. All right. But Abraham's recognizing that because I have relationship with God, that God is going to keep his promises in this way, that he will prosper your way. Okay. And so in this case, God answers that prayer very directly. Uh, but other times it takes faith and patience to inherit the promises. And then verse eight, he says, uh, Abraham still speaking, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Uh, and then later on in verse 41, as the servant recalls, he says, and if they will not give her to you, you will be free from this oath of mine. So whether the girl isn't willing or her family isn't willing to like, right, trust their daughter to the, you know, traveling foreigner to like just, oh yeah, sure, yeah, take our daughter away and we might not ever see her again. Like, like Abraham says, if either of those situations occur, hey, you don't have to fulfill this oath. And so uh, what I want to point out about this servant is this is the servant that likely would have inherited his entire household. And this servant is a faithful servant to whom, right, Abraham is entrusting so much that he ends up even entrusting to him much of his wealth and he travels with other uh, servants as well on this quest, okay? And so uh, he could have, right, been bitter about the fact that he's not inheriting all of this. He could have disobeyed Abraham. And Abraham's even here giving him kind of an out, he, right? He could have just pretended like, oh yeah, I, I went and... Uh, no, couldn't find a girl or no, she didn't choose to come. Uh, and then, right, he could have just like gotten off easy and just had like a, a few months of hanging out, doing whatever he wants. Uh, but no, this is a faithful servant, one who loves Abraham and is willing to go far to do what his master asks of him. And so uh, verse nine, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Uh, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And so he's He's kind of found himself in the right place at the, the right time where he's like, you know, like when it comes to uh, picking a fishing spot, right? He's, he's, he's giving himself the greatest likelihood of success, you might think, right? Like, he's like, all right, this is when the, this is when the women show up, okay? Like, this might be the moment where I, I find a wife for my master's son, Isaac. Verse 12, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, okay, and so he's, He's praying to God. He's, he gets to the location and he's like, all right, here's a whole city full of people. I've got to find the right one. I'm going to pray to God, the God of my master Abraham, of whom I've seen my master walk with his entire life. Uh, in verse 42 and recollecting, combining here, he says, if now you are prospering the way that I go. And so he's, he's like, has this heart of humility. He's not demanding his own way, right? He's saying, God, perhaps... Right? Perhaps this is what your plan is. Perhaps you're prospering the way that I go. I'm willing to, to kind of recognize I might have, you know, might have been wrong in some of my choices along the way, but I'm, I'm seeking your will. I'm not demanding my will, okay, is what we, what we notice here. Uh, back to verse 12, he says, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men uh, of the city are coming out to draw water. Verse 14, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So once again, he's, he's seeking for confirmation of God's working. He's kind of like open-handed and open-ended as far as like, God, perhaps this is your plan that you're, you're prospering my quest. Uh, 
maybe if it's your will, would you let this be the way in which you indicate to me that this is what you're doing? And, and right, he says that, that word let twice, right? Let the young woman whom I say, or let her be the one whom you have appointed, right? He realizes like, God, I don't want to be the one to make this choice. You've already appointed a person for Isaac. And let, let this be the way that you indicate to me that you are showing your steadfast love to my master. And so he is, once again, in his prayer, he's not demanding. He's saying, Lord, let it be. Lord, maybe let it be this way, right? He's, he's willing to let God correct him. <clears throat> and before he had finished speaking in verse 15, or in verse 45, it says, before I had finished speaking in my heart, as he's retelling the account. And so notice this prayer, it wasn't even verbalized. And so just as far as our prayer life, one of the things you might notice in the scriptures as you catch these little details, it doesn't necessarily have to be out loud. Right? That, that you can just reveal your heart to God. It's already fully exposed. Right? You can just be prayerful in your heart. And what's cool is before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, right? The, a person from the kindred of Abraham came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden of whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. Right? So we, we see as he prayed, now this moment's showing up and right, he's, he's asking in this way. And verse 18, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, Okay, uh, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And so it's not like just giving them, you know, a little, little bit of water to quench their thirst. Like, no, I'm going to keep giving water to your camels until the camels are like, we're good. We're, we've got enough. Thank you. Right. And so once again, the word quickly shows up here. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And the man, this is, this is kind of amusing, gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Okay, and so the whole time, like, she's like running back and forth, back and forth, filling the trough with water, which uh, it's estimated it might have taken, if she's got a three-gallon jug and the number of camels and size of the trough and all this, uh, it might have taken her as much as like 35 times filling up this jug and doing it. And so the whole time he's just like watching, like, you know, is she going to give up? Is she going to quit? Was she just saying kind words? Was she in expecting me to be like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to water my camels. No, no, no. Like, so he's just kind of watching and waiting and like, God, is this, is this going to be fulfilled? Are you going to do the thing that I, I prayed about? Right. He was excited about this. <clears throat> Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. And so he's, he's got these ready, but then he asks this one more question, right? He's still like, I don't know. Okay. He says, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And so he ends up asking this question. Verse 24, she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Uh, and she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. So after she answers who she is and who she's born to and mentions the name of Abraham's kindred, we find out later on in verse 47 that as he's retelling the account, he says, so I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm, right? That it's once she identified herself, both based on what she did indicating that the Lord was prospering his, his plan and that she happened to be from the kindred of Abraham that he's like, these are for you, right? Like this is for you. And then he, he doesn't take, you know, immediately go to the house. Then the man bowed his head, verse 26, and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the, the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness toward my master. 
As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Uh, and in verse 48, he phrases it this way, that the Lord who led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. And so once again, he's recognizing God led me. God did send that angel before me, that God had prepared the way for me. God indicated to me what his will was and that he was prospering this plan and showing his steadfast love to my master Abraham by fulfilling what I had prayed for, right? That if God would let it be. And, and he does, right? And so he worships God in this moment. And so, some things that I want to point out about this story so far. Notice that the language with which he prayed, right? Please grant me, or if you are now prospering the way that I go, or let it be, or let her be the one that you are, uh, you've appointed for Isaac. That, that the way he, he prays is respectful of God and his sovereignty to, to say no. Right? Like that God is able to say no to these prayers. God's not a genie that is required to grant our wishes. Uh, and he's respectful in the way that he asks. It reminds me of James chapter 4. When we speak of our future, right, we don't require uh, that, that faith that is expressed does not demand of God a particular way. We expect him to fulfill his promises. The timing of that, we don't control. Uh, or Or the way in which he does it, we don't control. But James 4 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we shall go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, right? Uh, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so notice the prayers of Eliezer, the servant, are respectful of God and recognizing God. You might not want to answer Abraham's prayers in this way, but he's, he keeps using this language in which he says, let it be or indicate to me, show to me that this is what you are doing, that I know that you're prospering and blessing your servant in this way. Uh, and so I think that's helpful to know. Also, as far as that James passage recognizing that our lives are but a vapor is a helpful thing to know, right? That Abraham is thinking about eternity, but is also, right, one that maximizes the years of his life on the earth, living faithfully, walking before the Lord, and that he's thinking about like, hey, my life is short, but I want to have an, an impact for generations to come, and that's something that we should be mindful of as well. God's not obligated to give us tomorrow, right? But nonetheless, we can trust him with our future because of his character, because of his goodness, uh, and that we should live intentional and desiring to have a multi-generational impact. Uh, I also like the fact that it said before he finished speaking, or before he had even finished speaking in his heart, boom, Rebecca shows up, okay? And that I wanna point out that God had sent that angel before him, and, and I want to indicate here that, that God is working as a result of our prayers. That God is, in fact, sometimes uh, initiating the answer to our prayers before we even prayed them. Right? Like, so catch the timing there, which is, is just so cool and such a God thing to do because he's the one who knows the end from the beginning. Okay, and so God is answering the prayer before he even finishes praying it, that Rebecca was in the right place at the right time and, and that God was doing this thing. Okay, and so this ended up being a prayer that was answered very quickly and that's not always the case, right? So we don't demand of God that because sometimes it is through, as Hebrews said, through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. And then one thing that's so incredible about Rebecca is that she serves, that she is a woman of character. And this isn't to say that she's sinless because she later on in her life makes sinful choices. She does the wrong thing. She's somewhat deceptive. Okay. Uh, she shows preference, it seems, towards one of her children. And, and yet, but in this moment, her character is on display that the whole time Abraham's servant is watching and, and he sees her be an individual that is willing to care and serve for others, even someone who's a complete stranger in her community. And that she did so quickly, right? That she quickly lowers her jar to give him a drink and then offers to water 
all of his camels, right? That's incredible. And as far as uh, that character being on display, that's something that we should desire for ourselves and that we should desire in a spouse. That godly character is way more important than charm, which is deceitful, or beauty, which is in vain. Someone that really loves God is someone that is also going to live a life in which they love the people of God. All right, they're, that they're going to love their brothers and sisters. They're going to love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they'll use that strength to serve others, okay? I was reading uh, the book of Ruth this week, and when Boaz, this individual who ends up seeing Ruth, Ruth and showing her favor, uh, he ends up saying, like she says, you know, why have I found favor in your eyes that I, you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz said to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. That he had heard something about the character of Ruth that it impressed him and he's like, you deserve to be blessed because of this, right? The Lord repay you for what you have done. Okay, and so what impressed him about a woman was her character, was the fact that she's one who is willing to serve. And we should desire the same thing for ourselves. <clears throat> Let's see, verse uh, 28. And so then Rebecca, the young woman, ran and told her mother's household about these things. <coughs> Rebekah had a brother who, whose name was Laban. Laban ran out to meet the man, the servant of Abraham, right, to the spring, as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. So this is actually the first moment we realize he didn't go solo on this quest, that he actually brought other servants with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And he said, speak on. And then this is the part where I've already combined these verses earlier on that happen to have unique uh, claims in them. And so he tells them about Abraham and how God had been faithful to him. He tells them about the oath that Abraham had him make. He tells them about how he prayed when he showed up at the well with his camels. He tells them about his experience and how Rebekah had responded to his question. And then in verse 49, it says, Now then, if you, he's speaking to Laban the brother and Bethuel the father, he says, If you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, Tell me that I might turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. And Abraham's servant heard their words. And, and what does he do? All over again. He bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And so he worships God again for being faithful to answer these prayers, right? He's, he found a woman. God did exactly as he had requested uh, and that this woman ended up being from the right family and their family was willing to let her go to be married to Isaac. <clears throat> the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. Uh, when they arose in the morning, he said, uh, send me away to my master. Okay. Uh, her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord had prospered my way. Send me away that I might go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah. 
and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And so what's interesting, just thinking about Rebekah's experience, we don't know how old she was at this moment, how many days she lived a life like this. But what we do know about her is that she lived a life pure before the Lord, as far as she was a virgin, right? She wasn't illicit in sexual practice, okay? That she remained faithful to her future husband, that she was a hardworking individual, that she was willing to care for this man and his camels. And within a day uh, of this interaction, she's now leaving her house to go and be blessed as the, the wife of a, of a wealthy, blessed man of God. All right. And so in a very short window of time, God ends up answering this prayer. All right. So just kind of cool that that happened so swiftly, even though she may have been waiting a long time for it to occur. Okay. So verse 62. Now Isaac had returned. So this is like, meanwhile, back in where Abraham is, Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And so he's also spending time in creation, spending time with his creator. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And the author of Genesis spares us the repeating of the whole story again. And then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And so this ends up being the story. These are events that actually had happened to the individuals. Okay, and not all of the details are necessarily things that we would expect to uh, occur in our lives in exact detail, right? Some of much of the Old Testament and narratives like this are, are descriptive events. They're not necessarily prescriptive, right? That you're not necessarily supposed to, to go and bring camels to a well somewhere in order to find a spouse. That's not the, the takeaway from these moments. Okay, but nonetheless, we see God's faithful working in multiple generations. God answering his prayer, uh, the prayers of some and, and fulfilling the promises that he had made. Uh, and that those who are faithful in some instances inherit the promises in this lifetime, right? That this is a good thing. But what I do want us to consider about some of these characters is just to think about what can we learn from the way those characters acted. And so, so in what ways should we be like Abraham? And obviously we've studied a lot of Abraham's life. We've seen a lot of his sin and screw ups, but we've seen moments in which he's grown in his faith and he's trusted God. And we see that his faith has even resulted in him uh, dwelling in the kingdom of God for all of eternity. But notice Abraham cares about what's going to happen in the next generation. And so we too should be mindful about the generational faithfulness of God's work on the earth, that whatever generation we find ourselves in, right? We need to save ourselves from this crooked and perverse generation, something that Peter preaches, right? But also we need to recognize there's going to be ebbs and flows as sometimes people will flee from God's presence and despise him. And then other times they come back in the droves. But, but our plan is to be faithful to God, whatever type of generation we find ourselves. And we don't always know what it'll be, but we want to be prayerful. We want to be mindful. We want to be thinking about equipping the next generation with the word of God, that we want to be serving in a church family in order to, to be a part of God's working and bringing his kingdom to the earth, right? That we want to be thinking about uh, not just our lives or the next day or our five-year plan, but we want to be thinking about living godly lives and training godly children and grandchildren and right having this positive influence on them, that, that it's not merely that our sins that are visited upon them, but the freedom that we experience in Christ is one that we share with our offspring. 
right? That we should, like Abraham, be concerned about a godly marriage, right? Both in the way that we live with our spouse, but also in the spouse that we pick, and also in the spouses that we are prayerful for our own children, okay? Uh, how should we be like Eliezer? Uh, we are servants of Jesus, okay? And we should be faithful servants like Eliezer. We should be willing to travel far to represent the interests of our master, that we should aim to please God, Jesus, right? That we should be prayerful, seeking to do his will. We should worship God over the things he's already done, even when he might say no to some of the prayers that we've recently had. We should be thankful to him for answering prayers, and we, like Eliezer, should be willing to go out and invite others to meet the Son of God, right? That we should go out and, and invite others to become part of the family of God, of, of the Son, of Jesus, the Prince, okay? That we should be willing to do that. Uh, how should we be like Rebecca? We should remain faithful to our future spouse, right? That while we are single, our, our bodies belong to the Lord and will continue for the rest of our lives, that we should honor God regardless of the relationship or singleness status that we might have in this moment, that God is worth honoring with our bodies, right? That we should do that. That's a good thing. And, and even if you're engaged to someone, that's not an excuse to dishonor the marriage bed. That we should be one who is willing to serve even a stranger. That we should be kind and humble. We should be willing to go where God would lead us. Uh, and so when we think about these characters, it's worth considering these things, okay? But I think most significantly, what's, what's kind of interesting about this story is in a way of analogy, in a way of parallel, this relates to the gospel message. Okay, in which you can think about as the father sends the servant to get a bride for the son. And the parallel would be this. All right, that God the father sends the Holy Spirit into the world to bring about the bride of Christ. Right, to invite us to be a part of the family of God, the church, the bride, to be uh, ordained and or to be uh, to be purified and without blemish and spotless to sanctify us as the bride of Jesus. Okay, that's something that the Father does. And what's interesting as far as this gospel story, the Father sends the Spirit to get a bride. He has knowledge about the elect who will respond, but we still have a part to play in that response. We must choose, like Rebecca, to decide whether or not we're willing to go, right? That, that we need to say yes to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, okay? That, that, that we need to be willing to do that. And when we go, we are granted gifts, right? That we are granted uh, the same inheritance as Jesus, which is incredible. And, and we are loved. That when we come into the family of God, as we allow God to do this work in our hearts, right? We are loved by God, we are pursued by God, that God invites us into his family, that we would be with him in his kingdom for all eternity. And, and if we've already experienced that, we need to be like Eliezer, faithful servants, uh, that we are stewards of what belongs to our master, right? Both in the resources we have, the time that we've been given, but also this message of the gospel, the good news that has been gifted to us. Uh, Jesus tells this parable in uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 15, right? We'll end on this. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, that is Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go 
quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And I tell you, none of those men who were invited at first shall taste my banquet. And so what I want to point out about this is that we get to participate in the kingdom of God. We get to invite people to the banquet of the king, that we are supposed to be faithful servants, that we would go out and compel people to come into the kingdom of God, that God's house would be filled. And so that's what we find ourselves in the place of, right? You might find think of the, the story of Isaac and Rebecca and think about like, oh, I'm this person, I'm, I'm like that person, but, but we are all called to be faithful servants of God, right? We're, like, we're most like Eliezer in that we should desire to invite people to come and be a part of God's family. And that's what we're called to do. Not all will respond, right? But we are faithful to go. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that you seek to save the lost, that you sought us out, that you desire for yourself a bride that is without blemish, Father God, that you you care for and you nourish the church, that Lord, we are your church, that the global church, the eternal church is your church, and you are the one who will build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Father God. I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in us to not be only self-centered and concerned about our own needs being met, but, Lord, we would be mindful of future times and generations, Lord, that we wouldn't be merely concerned about our own salvation, but we would desire to see our children and our grandchildren walk before you, Lord God, faithfully experiencing your mercy and forgiveness even when they fail. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we would be a church, a family of God that is faithful to go as servants before you, that you would prosper us in our way, that you would lead us, Father God, that we would be prayerful about moments in which we could share this message of hope, that we would be diligent to go out and compel, Lord God, that we would persuade with all that we have, desiring to see those who are willing to go to come into your kingdom and experience life that is only found in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We love you guys. Have a wonderful week. Take care.